Okay, welcome to Anxiety Help with Wes. We specialize in panic attacks, general anxiety disorder, and depersonalization, derealization. Here in episode two, that is just exactly what we are focused on, DPDR. And joining me is a therapist. Her name is Caroline. And I always enjoy your opinion, Caroline, on anything regarding mental health. Thanks for for sitting in with me on this one. You work at a mental hospital. Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, Gosh, I've been working in in the clinical field for a few years now. I'm working on my license um, to be a professional counselor. And right now I work in a psychiatric hospital. Okay, thanks for thanks for coming in. Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to clearly define this interesting disorder, DPDR, what it is, what we know about it, what works. And I'm going to end with what I have found is the absolute best technique, several techniques in order to get through it. So we have a lot to get through. And if you're listening right now, here's my message. You may be experiencing a lot, and you may just want to get help right away. But I'll tell you this: it probably took it probably took you some time to get to this point. Have you noticed that with some of your patients, Caroline? It takes them a moment, and so there's no miracle cure that I've found thus far. It takes a little time. Yeah, I wish that there wish that there was just one magic pill or something that could take it all away, but. It's hard work. I've heard a gentleman describe how it feels better than anyone. His name is Noah. His YouTube channel, Big No No. That's B-I-G-N-O-K-N-O-W. And I've got a clip pulled up, ready to rock. Let's listen in. And it's just like this blah, ugh, detached, hungover, weird feeling. It's like a version of that, but significantly, significantly worse and with no end in sight. Um... I remember when I was in the beginning of my depersonalization, derealization, I remember looking around me and thinking that I am in a fucking movie. Uh, I mean, I would look at my hand and I would swear that it wasn't my own hand. Now, this is not going to make sense to a lot of people, but for anyone who suffered these symptoms of depersonalization, derealization, that detachment, that just, that utter fucking numbness that comes over you when you feel that way, you know what I'm talking about. You know how completely frightening it is. And and uh, if you were anything like me, you thought you were you were losing your mind. And he goes on to talk about a number of other things, but he says the feeling is there's no end in sight. And he thought he's losing his mind. He's going crazy. That's got to put somebody in a hopeless like frame of mind. Pretty scary stuff. Well, what is depersonalization? It has been described as being disconnected from oneself. Derealization, to be derealized, is kind of unattached from one's surroundings. And together, depersonalization, derealization cause a sense of unreality or a dreamlike state, and it can be very uncomfortable for people who have this disorder. I heard it best said by Anxiety Center, C-E-N-T-R-E.com by the creator, founder, president, Jim Folk. does very well. What else do we know about it? It's uh, a collection of disassociative disorders. And these are, what, what is a disassociative order? That's a breakdown in 
in memory, consciousness, awareness, identity, and our perception. You know one of the scariest parts people I speak to, um, they, they feel like they're losing control. And that's pretty scary. So it is in the DSM-5 under the disassociative disorders. And uh, it usually goes with panic and anxiety. It is its own disorder, but it's almost always, in all cases, seen with panic and anxiety. And Caroline, here's what I've seen. Mm. I have seen, and my understanding is, it can start with the stress that goes kind of undiagnosed. We don't realize we're in a stress state. Then our body can go into a panic. We start to see those symptoms. We start to get the, the, the response from the brain, which we'll go into. And at the end of this fear loop comes in the arguably the scariest is the depersonalized state. So brief experiences are common. General public, 60% have had brief experiences, but it's considered a disorder when it starts to impair life, like social, your work, other areas. Um, We have it for a number of reasons. Stress. Persistently elevated stress, such as the stress response hyperstimulation, is a common cause. We're hyper stimulated. Uh, they did a study in by a medical doctor. Her name is Daphne Simeon. She does a book, Feeling Unreal. For anyone experiencing depersonalization, sometimes just hearing you're not going through it alone. And Daphne has written a whole book about it. And did you know there's a movie? It's called Numb. No. N-U-M-B. <clears throat> we need to watch that. I have okay. not seen it. So it says about 75% of the participants cited stress, panic, drug use, depression as the most common triggers and symptoms. Drug use. We also have traumatic life events. Um, About 15% of the population has reported a traumatic life event that's being molested, physically attacked, raped, you know, involved in some sort of accident. I was studying recently ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and any time someone goes through an ACE, an Adverse Childhood Experiences, it can increase the likelihood of disorders or trouble, or rather something to face later in life. Yeah, like higher risk for suicide or drug use. Exactly. Yeah. And, and drug use... Off off topic a little bit, my sense on that, a lot of times, I've said it like this, people are trying to change a feeling a lot of times. They're just trying to change an internal state with a drug. or Yeah, or cope with, with one. Genetic, environmental. So individuals do inherit a predisposition to being an anxious person. This is according to psychologist Amy Zerworski. And she says about 30 to 40% of the variability is related to genetic factors. I notice that anytime you go to a doctor, they go to tell your family history of everything, right? Because that has that's a big indicator. So if, if mom had depersonalization, it may run in the family, and I may be at a, a heightened risk for that, obviously. 
Yeah, but it is unclear, though. Here's what they don't know. What percent is genetic versus environment and experience? Because we learn how to think a lot of times from our close environment, our parents, the people around us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What Do you think it's more genetic, more environmental, a little bit of both perhaps? Uh, I think the consensus is generally that it's about 50-50. Okay, so from the 36% who show a genetic or a, a predisposition, you've got a little bit environmental, a little bit genetic. Right. Okay. So what's actually happening? What is actually happening? This is not super exciting, but let's let's see if we can figure out. Okay, danger is perceived. And when this happens, stress hormones are released throughout the body. The amygdala, that is the fear center in the brain, it becomes dominant. And that results in a hyper-awareness or hyper-stimulation state, which is depersonalization. Okay, uh, am I understanding this correctly? We perceive danger, real or unreal. Maybe real, maybe not. They always use the example of a bear chasing you, right? You get a lion chasing you. And then the, but it may be real, may be imagined, but the, the amygdala is on alert. It releases a stress response and the continual hyperstimulation results in depersonalization. Well, when I'm teaching like kids and adults about, um, like anxiety and fear we talk about the fight or flight response and i think most people are probably familiar with that um yeah the saber-toothed tiger the bear you know we caveman if you believe in that we used to anxiety and fear is designed to protect you so your fight or flight kicks in um okay, like this bear's coming at me, this saber-toothed tiger, so I have to protect myself. I have to fight. So I've got all these hormones pumping through my body, adrenaline. Um, But what happens is that a lot of times, like now in our society, we're getting afraid of things that aren't actually going to kill us. My exam tomorrow. Uh, Going to Walmart, going to the grocery store, being around lots of people. And we have so much stimulation, and and then if it's prolonged, um, that kind of threshold gets, I guess, higher, and and so we're constantly um, having that come at us, and so I think that's kind of what it's talking about. And you just said something that it's it's actually meant to help us in that scenario. And what it does, this is my understanding, uh, a lot of the blood in our uh, our limbs and our bodies retract to the vital organs mm-hmm. so that we can run or jump breathe mm-hmm. as as much as needed so it's it's supposed to maximize our defense which in some cases is helpful the body always tries to help us it seems but long bouts of this response can keep someone depersonalized for a long period of time it's just a brain it's it's the brain not communicating correctly with itself due to the negative effects of the stress response hyperstimulation. So if I could break that, if I could sum all that down, depersonalization is a brain processing problem due to being overly stressed. I have to add this in. I just saw a TEDx talk. I'm talking two or three days ago in some of the training that I'm doing right now. And um, in studies, uh, the presenter said that it's not 
the stress that we experience that negatively affects us. It's how we view the stress. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah, absolutely. So some people who may be aware on some level, I'm stressed, but if they view that negatively, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to continue to be depersonalized. Now I'm screwing myself. That can perpetuate the cycle. But stress itself is not bad. It's just how we respond to that stress. That's Mm -hmm. the study. That was incredibly liberating for me to hear. I want to share that. Because I feel like medical professionals have made stress the bad guy. Mm. I don't think stress is the bad guy. How we respond to that stress uh, is what we can focus on. Yeah, like there's uh, some studies that show that um, sort of like a certain amount of stress or anxiety gets you a better grade on a test because it's going to help you perform better, be more alert you're more focused. You're also, if you have a little anxiety, you're going to do something to alleviate that anxiety. Hopefully you're going to study. And then if you study, you'll do better on the test. So it is a productive emotion and it has a purpose. I just read a book, Dan Harris, and it's called 10% Happier. And he was (laughs) concerned as he looked into Buddhism that minimizing stress may not be good for his career as a news correspondent. He knew that it was a driver for him in a good way. Isn't that called you stress? Good stress? I've not heard that. Who knows? I've heard good stress. Yeah, good stress. So a couple other things. Average age of depersonalization disorder, 16 years old. I personally experienced it when I was younger. Didn't realize that until I was much older. Um, And you may have to go to some lengths to get a diagnosis. This is one of the tougher parts. Again, Feeling Unreal, the book, says it has been noted as the third most prevalent psychiatric symptom right after depression and anxiety. But yet, get this, the average mental health professional usually knows very little to nothing about it. Yeah, very prevalent, but most it's hard to get help. So if you want help, you've got to stay persistent. Um. But I think here in 2018, more people seem to know about it than maybe 10 years ago. I think it all goes hand in hand with people are more trauma focused. We're talking about ACEs now. We're talking about trauma and we're looking at presenting problems and we're going back to see what's in people's history. Did they experience trauma? Um, talking about that genetic component where there do their parents have a history of mental illness and we're I think we're that we're more aware um, and so I think we're talking about things more in general multiple sources do agree that DPDR DPDR is correlated trauma stress and drugs what percent of your patients come in are, are on drugs hmm I mean, I want to say 90. I was listening. 90%. Maybe 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10. You know, I love Joe Rogan and his podcast. And he was talking with a guy named Steven Crowder, who also has his own podcast, Louder is Crowder or Louder with Crowder. And Joe is very pro-marijuana. And Stephen said, well, it is not a substance without consequence, even though it's getting a lot of favor right now. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what I know as far as DPDR, marijuana, and other drugs do appear to be a trigger for users who have a history 
of anxiety and depersonalization. So if you got if you're anxious, maybe the thought might be take some marijuana to relax, but for anxious personalities or if you have a history of depersonalization, it can absolutely be a trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, alcohol and caffeine. Got to watch out for those too. They can definitely be a trigger. When I work with students, I immediately look at a number of organic issues like sleep, like exercise. Oh, yeah. You, do you drink? Oh, you do a lot of alcohol? Let's just take that away. That may get you out of this depersonalized state in time. That alone. It, it can greatly help. Relief. Okay, I've, I've seen it over and over and over. Therapists agree. And, and medical professionals, I should say. Therapy is going to be about 80% of recovery, and the medication is going to be about 20 Medication, 20%. So it can help get us out of the pit. Sometimes our brain, our stress levels, our cortisol, the amygdala, on overdrive, and we got to calm it down. And that's where medication can help. But most is going to have to be um, worked with through therapy. But Wes, I can't afford therapy. Go to episode one where we talk about 12-step programs. And there are multiple free resources. But uh, yeah, therapy. And we're both cognitive behavioral therapy fans, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's because it's an action-based, right? It's It monitors thoughts. It challenges. It removes irrational beliefs. And we get to experiment through CBT with new behavior and responses. Like it's, it's actual work. Yeah. I always like to say, and you've heard me say this many times, do not roll your eyes at me, but we cannot control anything, only how we respond to it. We can't. There's a lot we cannot control, but we can work on our response. Then there's DBT. That's another one, dialectical behavioral therapy. And here's the interesting thing I want to say about this. There are four components to DBT, but mainly is uh, Buddhist practices. And did you know this? So Buddhism... And meditation, we started to see in the U.S. the benefits of meditation. But because a lot of people thought that there was kind of a religious aspect to that, they started calling it mindfulness. Hmm. So meditation, mindfulness, one and the same. So being, or similar. Do you meditate? I have personally a hard time with it. <laughs> I, I I talk a big game and I like to tell people that I prefer to to talk about mindfulness, I think. Because yeah. it's more of an activity. Meditation, you feel like you have to sit in a closet with the lights out and close your eyes yeah. and try not to think about anything. And you can't not think about anything. So mindfulness is awesome for just being really present in the activity that you're doing. I agree. I love uh, in the steam room or sauna, mindfulness. And what here's what that looks like to me. It looks like a, becoming aware of our thought and then and then letting it pass and without, come back to the present moment without judgment without judgment that means what we think we can separate what we think from who we are yeah makes sense we can separate what we think from who we are oh i don't have to immediately react to this i just notice it become aware so dbt oh my and this has got to be maybe my favorite logotherapy Viktor Frankl, he was, what do you call it, uh, a prisoner in Auschwitz during World War II. Auschwitz? That's a, he was in he the was concentration in the, camps. Yeah, he was. 
Mm-hmm. That, that would be the proper way to say it. Concentration camps. He was a psychologist. He gets out, and he has this incredible body of work. And one of his theories is, is logotherapy, which is discussed in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Here's the idea that people are driven to find a sense of purpose and meaning in life. And if he can help them find a sense of purpose and meaning, then their problems will greatly diminish. So he doesn't focus on the issue. Maybe we'll address those, but what gets you excited? And with students, when I'm talking with students, that may look like joining a club, finding a place, finding something that they can get excited about and that they can start working on. And boy, does that not change their whole happiness experience through school years. Logotherapy. So um, how do you find... Can, do you know how to find life's meaning? How do we find that, Caroline? <laughs> Maybe that should be another podcast. <laughs> how about you, you focus on meaning for yourself? What is the meaning of life? Well, Mr. Viktor Frankl or doctor, I should say, says, one, creating a work or an accomplishment of a task. Accomplishing a task. Two, experiencing something fully or loving someone. And then one's attitude towards suffering. That is huge. Uh, How we... There is suffering in life. Do do you feel... Do some kids feel like there are no suffering? Because we know the suicide rate for students continues to go up, right? Yeah, if we if we think that the purpose of life is to feel no pain, then we're constantly in pursuit of not feeling pain and we're not being present, we're not being aware and we're not being like accepting of ourselves and of um and of our emotions, but I think that if you go into it just being alive and being a human and being just being a person living this life, you're going to feel pain. Yeah. And I think that that's the first thing to accept is that that's normal. Like that, okay, I'm alive and I'm going to feel pain and there's going to be sad things that happen to me. Um, but that is, that's kind of, we get to be these people with these, like we're so evolved and we have these amazing brains and the ability to think and to make decisions and to feel. But we also feel pain because we can think about stuff. I think that's a Buddhist principle. Suffering is a part of life. I think that's one of the the tenets, rather. Well, they got it right. Here's So, Viktor Frankl thinks that the ultimate freedom a man can have in his life is the ability to choose the reaction to a particular set of circumstances, including those that are painful. When, when I read his book, I mean, he dives into what he had to do while in the concentration camp how he responded i mean if there's anybody ever qualified i read this book and i was like is this real Mm -hmm. he was describing things that were unbelievable yeah and it and it's best logotherapies works really well with those that are anxious and um he had something he developed that other people have since ripped off but that's fine it's called paradoxical intention and that involves asking exactly for the thing most feared Here's what happens. It's my understanding by asking for the thing that we fear the most. It actually removes the fear from the intentions and paradoxically the symptoms that go along as the result of fear. 
yeah, it's been very successful. Logotherapy. Logotherapy. There may be some other names for it out there. But, okay, let's look at medication. It's Daphne Simeon, Feeling Unreal. And in her studies, here's what she's found. I'm just going to kind of give you the cliff notes here. SNRIs, serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, aren't effective. SSRIs produce 38 to 40% positive results from their study. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. That's like a Zoloft or some other types of SSRIs. Yeah, there are many out there. And it's all about neutral. I'm not a doctor here. Let me do my best. Um, Neutralizing the amount of serotonin in the brain that our body is so taxed when we're in this hyperstimulation state, so taxed. And that those SSRIs can help it recover and get back to a, a stable it keeps, space. It keeps the serotonin in the synapse or like yes. you have this like space between it. And so it gets, it just keeps on being kind of available. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the deficit Itself, I mean, some people actually may have such low natural serotonin that an SSRI could could really benefit. But there are effects to be aware of. Um, let's see here. Yeah, just just to wrap that up, twenty percent medication, eighty percent therapy is going to help get someone through but there's oh my gosh there's good news someone may be listening caroline and and they may think i'm screwed i've had this for six months i've had this for two years well here's the good news no long-term negative effects like you can experience for a long or short time and fully recover here's another one every difficult moment or experience you may come out better can i say that Like we can, it doesn't everything, every experience we go through give us the opportunity for some sort of personal growth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't seek those things, but when I face them, oh, what's the, what's the growth here? I like this one. The fear and discomfort is the worst of it. You've most likely experienced the worst that this has to throw at you. No, that's not bad. How, let me say that again. I'll probably have to edit that part. We're getting there, Caroline. All right, so one suggestion. One, how do I want to say this? We'll start that again. Okay. All right, so we're going to work through, I'm going to say it a third time. Okay, now is the time. We're going to go through a process, and I challenge you to try it. This can really help anyone dealing with depersonalization, derealization. Okay, so number one, step one, label the symptom. What's an example of a symptom? Can you think of one from DPDR? Uh, Feeling kind of outside of your body. Feeling outside of your body. Now we've got to name the fear and the result of the fear. So I would say... Outside of body feeling, and the result is, I'm, I'm going crazy. 
or uh, I'm going to die. Usually that's the ultimate fear, right? Mm-hmm. So outside of body feeling, so we name the fear and the result of that fear. That's step two. Step three, this is where it gets crazy. Acknowledge and welcome it. Yes, paradoxical intention. Actually talk to it. Here's what I would, here's what I would say to it. Oh, hello, welcome. Outside of body and go insane fear. You are free to stay as long as you want. That sounds crazy, but that's extremely powerful. Yeah, it might take people a while to really wrap their minds around that one. Yeah, let me say that again. Welcome outside of body and go insane fear. You're free to stay as long as you want. I also may add something like this in. I wish you weren't here, but I do accept you. It's full acceptance. There's no running. There's no running from this. You, you wake up the next day and it's still there. We want to pretend we're not in it. We are. Here's another. Count to 10 slowly and give the fear a time limit. So if that fear has not materialized within 10 seconds, 10 minutes, I have to move on. Here's how this this looks, and this is the fourth technique. Okay, we've done one, two, three. We've acknowledged it. We've talked to it. And now we're going to say, okay, outside of body and go insane fear, you've got 10 seconds to do your worst. After that, it's on with my day. It's like that. it's a conversation with self. It's how we view this. It, it might be 10 minutes. It might be an hour. Whatever you need, but Giving it a time limit can help us feel in control, okay? If, and, and here's what I would say. If you are alive, when that time ends, move forward. <laughs> here's another one. Oh, so those are one, two, three, four. Here's five. Challenge the thought. Challenge it. Now, sometimes we have to, this story in our head is playing, so we must we, we've got to vouch for ourselves, right? Sometimes. So it may look like this. Well, have I been to the doctor? Yes. Yes, I have. Doctor said I was fine. You know what happens with people with DPDR? They go to the doctor. They think they're dying. This happens. And the doctor says, you're fine. We tested you out. And they go, what's wrong? And they go, eh, I don't know. Maybe you had a panic attack. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe go see a therapist. Bye. And in numerous cases, the people who visit the ER, I'm talking six, seven, 20 times, just do not believe it. There's something in your brain and it's the amygdala working. It's your brain working. That's going, nah, something's not right here. Something's not right. They got it wrong. Yeah. It's, it's an irrational fear, but it feels so real to you. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, so I would say this, and I've told students and clients this myself, if you've been to the doctor and the doctor said it was panic, or yeah, maybe you're dealing with a little bit of disassociation, maybe unlikely, they say DPDR, we can accept it and trust it. Okay, how about this one? I've had this before. It was really uncomfortable, but I lived. Did you notice the word uncomfortable? Not it was hellish. I was taught not to use inflammatory terms. Like this is the worst hell I've ever suffered. Well, your sub, our subconscious picks up on that. So we use words like uncomfortable. Um, 
I, I feel odd, but I can handle it. So I may say this, I've had this symptom before, it was uncomfortable, but I lived. Add some humor. The, I'm really funny, correct, Caroline? Thank you. One of the things I like to do is say, you know, I am too smart and too sexy to, have, to, uh, to lose my mind right now. And too many people are, are going to miss my beauty and my intellect. Just have some fun with it. Start to talk to it like the silly fear that it is. Whatever. That's another one. Whatever or so what? Whatever. It's just anxiety. So what? I'll deal with it. So what? It's nothing new. You know, so what? Okay. Talking to ourselves that way is important. Let's let's mention very quickly a few more of the symptoms as we kind of wrap this up. Depersonalization. If it goes with panic attacks and it goes with extreme stress, maybe depression, someone experiencing this may also feel the symptoms of panic, which which may be trembling in your body. It may be a feeling like you can't catch your breath. Mm-hmm. It may be like body. If you look up the symptoms, and again, go to Anxiety Center. This is the most comprehensive list I've seen. I'm talking hundreds of symptoms. And simply just knowing, just knowing, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person to deal with this. There's a community of us can go a long way. I encourage distraction. How many clients do you have that, that you know, that maybe they're depressed and they just sit in one space? Hmm. Do you have a lot of those that, that, that don't leave the house much or they just kind of stay? We want to isolate when things aren't going well. Yeah. Um, it's sort of this vicious cycle that people can get caught in where you do the things that the depression's telling you to do or the anxiety is telling you to do, but then it just makes it worse. So you feel really low and sad and so you isolate and you keep the blinds drawn and the room dark and you sleep all day because you're, you're physically hurting, but then there's no serotonin. You know, you're, um, you're not getting social support. You're not getting exercise. You're not eating right. You don't feel like taking care of yourself, but, but you have to do a little bit against kind of those opposite actions yes. so that you can kind of get that feedback and get, get those posi- that positive energy going again. Oh, absolutely. And for someone depersonalized or depressed, it's not just get through the next 24 hours. It's not get through just the next hour. It's get through literally the next minute. Mm-hmm. And, pe- and and I understand that. Sometimes it's like, can I just go to sleep? Because I don't. I can't take another second of this. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. Our good friend, Anthony Bourdain. By the way, how sad is that? Absolutely really sad. And you're a big fan. I know that. I am, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to be to this this point of, I'm hopeless. Like there is no hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, con- condolences to to him. Mm. What a what a wonderful pessimistic man's man he was. Yeah, he had a very cynical approach, but yeah, he was very 
seemed down to earth and people really liked him, but we never know what other people are going through. We just see obviously what's going on on the outside. And so that's why I just kind of want to encourage people to communicate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly the opposite, right? In DPDR or what have you, pick your poison. To do the opposite, a lot of times, it is it is essential to do the opposite of what we feel in these times. And that may mean, you know what, I do need to go out. I do need to get up. And it can be terribly, terribly difficult. But but anyway, some sort of distraction. Distract ourselves. I think, uh, you know what, I was talking to a student recently, or a client rather, and my note was, okay, so they got laid off a job right? Got laid off a job and said, I'm less productive without a job and with more time than I was with less time. And I said, maybe ask yourself to do a little bit less because when you're stressed or when you're depersonalized, we want to do some, but it's okay. We can give ourselves permission. Maybe we can't do as much as we normally could. And we could a few years ago, a few months ago. And yeah, so anyway, any sort of distraction is good. I love YouTube, the YouTube rabbit hole. (laughs) That's so much fun. Who doesn't? I'm not a video game guy, though. Yeah, I think you're what we call coping skills. You've got to have a good toolbox of things that take your mind off of it, but also just make you feel better. Yeah. We welcome the fear or excuse me, the symptom and the fear to stay as we go on about our day. Yeah, that list. I would like, I, I, need, to, I need more distractions, but I've kind of found my thing. I'm a big fight fan, amongst other things. Help others. They always say, you always hear this, helping others is make your mess your message. Help others with that thing you're dealing with mm. or, or find something. That, I'm, that can be, I, that's got to be really tough, but I do understand All right, let's close this thing down. When we wish it away, it stays. In panic, no way out, only through. That's it. Paradoxical intention, we get comfortable with the fear. We throw our, that's the big thing today, right? To throw our arms around this fear and welcome it. Mm. Well, Wes, I don't believe it. Well, I would maybe alter that. I'm, I'm I'm uncomfortable. I wish you weren't here. Go crazy and die fear. But you are, and I'm gonna. I'm committed to getting used to you. Yeah, we accept it. This is who I am. An alcoholic starts to get help when he says, "I'm an alcoholic." Mm-hmm. So yeah, we accept. I, I am in a depersonalized state. I don't know when it's going to end, but I do know that I'm not alone, and I am. I am talking to my fear daily, and I'm and I'm and I'm working on it. And you know what happens? At some point, we turn around and say, wait, where'd you go? Uh, Excuse me. Excuse me. I can't breathe, and I'm going to suffocate fear. Where are you? It It just leaves one day. What about this? This is a very simple one. Bilateral stimulation. It sounds kind of dirty, kind of weird. (laughs) But cross your arms, and then you tap and count. Mm -hmm. Tap one shoulder count tap the other shoulder two three four and it's been proven in in 
war-torn countries for kids that it has provided some level of self-comfort. That's a very basic one. Uh, writing, I love writing, breathing, big, deep breathing. I think we've, I think we've covered it all. That was a lot. Deep personal. I hope this is helpful. That's my goal. Well, and I think that if um, sort of a crash, this was sort of a crash course. It's yeah. a lot of information which can feel overwhelming, but the overall message is. Um, acceptance you can accept yourself as a a person who's highly prone to anxiety you could accept yourself as a person who has a history of trauma you've been through a lot you've overcome a lot and you're still alive there's always hope um but to hang on so to to kind of accept those motions as normal anxiety is normal it's just kind of gotten out of control by the time it becomes dpdr so and the, the, the other message is there's, there's stuff out there that works. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've heard people say, hey, I went to a therapist 12 years ago. It kind of sucked, and mm-hmm. I don't think that. I was like, that was 12 years ago. And that person might have sucked, but yes, there's other really great therapists out there who do care. What about the therapist who has this mentality of, whatever you say, I'm just going to simply reflect what I hear and repeat it back to you like a mockingbird? Well... People want to feel heard and feel validated, but uh, I think that you pair that with tools and resources, and that's going to be the most successful. Yeah. Okay. I, I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. All right. Bye. Thanks.